Are you ready to learn? Because my super experienced guests are ready to share some really valuable information. Make sure and listen all the way to the end to get help and support. So let's start with the best audio experience. What's up, guys? It's a big pleasure today to learn more about SEO, market research, about digital marketing. Especially, uh, we are living in the world where uh, it's hard to find data. So I'm excited to discuss this topic with Laura Troyani. How are you? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Yeah, um, uh, a good day. You know, I think the nature, our nature always has good days, you know, if you have good mood. <laughs> okay. Uh, I check out your profile. Yeah, you have extended experience about that. Can you tell more about your background experience and why you decided to take this topic? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm uh, the founder and principal of Plan Beyond. We're a boutique uh, Seattle-based market research firm. Uh, and we always say, uh, you know, if you want to, if you want to be great at marketing, if you want to have great customer conversions, create great customer journeys, um, it starts with knowing your customer. And so that's really what we do. We help businesses large and small really make sure that they know who their customer is, what they want, what they expect, so that when it comes to actually executing on marketing and getting folks to convert, they're doing it really well. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, from my experience, it's hard to find this data when you start from scratch. For example, if you start a new project and I need to find data about my customers, so uh, I will get them in the future. But right now, I don't know anything about that. Can you tell for, uh, for a new project how to uh, collect this data, how uh, to analyze them and think, uh, I don't know, to create your marketing strategy? Yeah, absolutely. So we say it really just starts with talking to people. So if you're really net new, you know, starting out with a new new brand, new product, new service, um, and maybe it has some hypotheses going in. You think, oh, gosh, this would be great for a certain industry, a certain type of customer. It's time to ask. So I would say, folks, especially when we're working with startups, you know, it's a good idea, even before you have customers, talk to people who you think could be prospective customers. Uh, and that starts with, you know, from a tactical standpoint, creating a really structured discussion guide. We say, hey, make sure you're asking the same types of questions over and over again to the same types of people. And after you complete about eight or 10 interviews, you're gonna see some very consistent trends. So as it pertains to maybe launching a new product or service, that would mean asking questions about maybe the relevance of the product, what they would expect it to do, um, what it would need to be able to do for them to be actually willing to pay for it. And you can even go into pricing. What would they be willing to pay for it? What sounds reasonable? And so as you have that, really collect that qualitative data across different participants, at the end, you're going to be able to see trends across all of this. And that's going to ultimately inform um, how your business takes that product or service to market. Nice, nice. You know, uh, Laura, it's interesting about that. Uh, I think we have two types of marketers. The first type, uh, they use tools to get all this data. The second type, they can go to talk, you know, <laughs> with uh, salespeople, with customers to uh, learn more data about that. And even um, I remember when I read a book, interesting book about uh, great CEOs, and they usually uh, go to the customers to learn their pains. Uh, they uh, they want to know how to decide their problems. And yeah, I uh, that's why I love your answer about that. That you need to talk. You need to use more than just uh, using uh, tools. They are great tools, but I think uh, if you combine with your research and using tools, you can get much better results today. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, mentioned tools. And I, you know, one thing that's interesting to me is I often, you know, sometimes we'll talk to performance marketers. Mm-hmm. And their answer is, oh, A-B testing. 
you know, we'll just A-B test it. Uh, we'll come up with, you know, 10 different things to test and we'll, we'll do it. And I go, well, mm. hey, that's great. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of A-B testing. Obviously, it does great work in terms of improving conversion rates. But there's something implicit to A-B testing, which is that you know out of the gate the things that you should test. Mm-hmm. And so if that thing, that winning element is missing from your test plan, maybe because you're just, you're, I don't know, you're, you're, you're ignorant to it, you haven't actually spoken to your customers, then only so much A-B testing is going to get you so far. So mm-hmm. even with performance marketing and those digital marketers who go, oh, we'll just, we'll just push it live and see what happens. Love it. I love that nimbleness and the agility. But again, with that, with that failure to know enough about your customer at the onset, you might be missing some things from your tests. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, nice. Uh, okay, let's talk about uh, combining this data. For example, um, we provided research. We found uh, some interesting stuff. How to combine this data and, uh, I don't know, to filter out some data that we don't need uh, and uh, to use some data that uh, considers our unique selling proposition because, uh, you know, uh, I often uh, read some marketing books uh, that you need to learn your competitors. Yeah, and the competitors usually highlight their strong sides. And it's not always the case. For example, if you are trying to overcome their strong sides, but it's not your strong side. And so how to consider your unique selling proposition and uh, filter out data because we can't satisfy all customers. Yes, we we need to find our customers. Can you provide more insights about that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I think what you're describing is, if if I'm understanding, it's really how as a business can you carve a place for yourself out in the market? You know, especially in a competitive space or category, maybe there's some established players. How do you Mm -hmm. compete when that's the case? Um, and with that, we love to do competitive audits. And mm-hmm. so what that process looks like is we'll say, hey, let's look at you know, our client and mm-hmm. we'll take maybe four or five others that are like them. And it could be direct competitors or it could be other organizations maybe in a similar space that aren't selling directly against what they're doing. And we say, let's look at all of the, these uh, companies across a variety of different dimensions. It could be everything from... Um, from a branding standpoint, it could be their imagery, their positioning, their value propositions. From a marketing standpoint, we could look at the breadth of marketing channels that they're using. Are they doing content? Are they doing social? Are they doing paid media? It could be even the buyer journey, for especially for B2B businesses. Um, from the website, maybe a live, um, a live chat. Is there a live chat to speak with someone? Is there a free trial experience? All of that sort of stuff. And so again, as we gather this data, uh, across different uh, competitors, we again have the opportunity to look at what are people doing really well. And if we see that some organizations or companies really are stellar, maybe they're really ho- focused in on an enterprise customer offering X, Y, and Z, but perhaps our client actually can tailor their product to an SMB audience offering, uh, I don't know, one, two, three, or whatever that other thing is, that for us is a really good opportunity to say, hey, if you need to find a way to differentiate yourself, uh, because you can't be everything to everyone, and oftentimes you have to pick, here's the way that you can carve out that place for yourself and truly create a differentiated offering. Yeah, nice, nice. Agree with that. You know, uh, I want to ask, uh, ask one question because it's hard for me to avoid this question because I see uh, you have books on your background. Can you tell more what type of books uh, you love reading? Because, you know, I, I love reading books uh, instead of watching TV. So can you lead uh, your uh, preferences? You read marketing books, uh, business books, or uh, any other books? 
You know, uh, as funny as this might sound, I actually love books that deal with more psychology. Um, mm-hmm. you know, as a market researcher, I always tell folks that really, end of the day, it's our job to try and put ourselves in the shoes of the, the individuals that we're researching. Um, mm-hmm. Because we have to think about, gosh, how, how are they seeing the world? How are they thinking about what they need, what they want? What are the challenges to getting what they want? And so for me, really reading books about psychology and understanding what are those uh, archetypes in the world? Uh, what is it that drives people? What is it that makes them scared of things? That enables me, I think, to be a better researcher and ultimately mm-hmm. ask the right questions. So probably a bit of an or- unorthodox answer there. Um, but for me, I think it helps uh, for me flesh out how I see our perspective, perspective customers, perspective clients, and really ultimately perform better research. Yeah, nice, nice, love it. Uh, okay, let's talk about creating a content strategy uh, f- uh, from your experience. Because, you know, um, I check out a few studies that uh, only 36% of all businesses have a documented content strategy. And most others usually use some generic strategy. They open HRF, SEMrush, any other tools, just uh, are looking for uh, some generic keywords, jump there and fail, you know, uh, because uh, they... Uh, Uh, don't consider uh, competition in some niches, for example, it's hard to overcome Amazon, any other websites. How to find this right strategy and how do we know that this strategy will actually work for your project? Yeah, absolutely. Well, gosh, I mean, content, content marketing can, can take all sorts of forms. So I certainly could tell you, I could, in our short span of time, won't tell you, you know, everything that we can do. I can tell you one approach that we love that we've seen be very, very effective for organizations. Um, and that's using thought leadership as the driver of content strategy and content development. And here, mm-hmm. here's what that looks like in a nutshell. Uh, essentially, it, um, it starts with developing original research mm-hmm. on a topic. So for instance, uh, this is something we did ourselves um, just to show that we could do this. Uh, mm-hmm. The Great Resignation is a big topic right now. And so we said, gosh, let's, let's do some research on that topic or idea. So we fielded a survey with about a thousand respondents And the end result is a final report that's really substantive, has some really, really cool data, and we were able to see really interesting interactions between work dynamics and likelihood to quit. So from there, that's an opportunity to, you know, if you're a business, you can pitch out those reports to get really great PR and press hits. So, you know, for your audience, that means great inbound links for SEO, um, and also just great acquisition, right? People clicking in and learning more. Uh, mm-hmm. From there, it's also an opportunity to take that original uh, research report of content and slice it and dice it in many ways. So organizations can then create, oh gosh, maybe from one report, six or seven different ebooks or white papers. And then we say, hey, for every ebook or white paper, that's maybe seven to eight different blog posts. And mm-hmm. for each blog post, now you have maybe four to five different social media pieces that you can take and amplify it. So It's a content strategy approach that's really um, anchored on the idea of being a thought leader mm-hmm. um, and driving original ideas uh, and data points into the market. Mm-hmm. You mentioned about good PR. You know, the last time I started to learn more about PR, uh, I can tell why. Uh, for example, for uh, some of my projects, we got it that their competitors uh, are using PR campaigns to get uh, awesome backlinks from Forbes, uh, many other recognizable authoritative websites. Uh, even if uh, these links are uh, no follow, uh, Google doesn't consider them, but they get all this ranking. Possible Google consider <laughs> this link because, yeah, because uh, of creating brand 
current awareness or many other parameters. So I think um, if we are talking about authoritative website, I don't care a lot about do follow or no follow. I want to get this link. Mm-hmm. Can you tell more how to provide good PR campaigns? You know, because it's not simple today to provide a strong reason for blogger journalists to link to your content. Mm-hmm. What kind of information we need to provide uh, to deserve these links? Yeah, yeah. So, wow, you're nailing it. It's a a topic I absolutely love, uh, which is that idea of how do you create news when you don't actually have news, right? Um, You know, I think about, you know, launching a new product or service. That's news. That's something that you can pitch out and get people to write about you. But six months from then, there's, you've you've, you've launched, you're done. You can't, you can't pitch that again. And so I think for me, that's why I love this idea of creating thought leadership. Because mm-hmm. when I put myself back to, again, that idea of putting myself uh, in the shoes of other people, if I think about a journalist and what's mm-hmm. driving that person, they have to make, a, you know, they have, month, they have daily or weekly quotas on, on articles that they have to produce. And they have to find new things to write about. So mm-hmm. why not help them out? And this, again, is where that idea of thought leadership content comes into play. If you're creating new research, uh, and have something yeah. new to be able to say about a topic that's extremely relevant or seasonal, you're essentially helping journalists do their job. You're giving mm-hmm. something that's very legitimate um, and new that they can then write about. And so that's why we really love this approach. It's great, again, just for content creation when you're trying to do that, but also if you're trying to get in front of really relevant publications or journalists and want them to write about you, it's a great way that they're going to implicitly write about you, i.e. your research, your findings, without necessarily directly writing about your company. So mm-hmm. love, love the approach, and it's a great way to get those uh, PR mentions in a very organic way. Yeah, totally. I think, yeah, it, it's hard to create linkable content, but yeah, businesses need to do it. Exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, 10 years ago, when we started to... Uh, trying to get this SEO traffic. We didn't care anything about uh, info content, about linkable content. We just created e-commerce content. Google ranked well, but today <laughs> it's another story, you know, of uh, SEO evolution. Uh, okay, um, let's talk about um, creating this content. For example, um, I created content plan. I know uh, what kind of goals uh, I'm willing to get with this content. Uh, how do I know this content is good enough, uh, much better than competitors have? Because in most cases, uh, I, I can explain why I'm asking this. Because, uh, for example, I have big clients, really big clients, you know, and uh, they uh, have uh, time to develop and innovate their products. They have no time to create this content. They usually reply to me, I have no experience with that. My competitors uh, are big companies. I need to think how to overcome them. Uh, and how to handle the process to create awesome content from for companies that have no experience with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a challenge, and I get that out of the gate. Um, and I think I, I have a pretty simple answer, which I'll mm-hmm. expand upon. But the answer is, what's going to be valuable to your customers? Mm-hmm. Create something that's truly valuable. You know, when I think about the early days at SEO, um, you know, things that aren't terribly kosher anymore in terms of certain tactics, that was... It's not kosher today because really it's not adding value mm-hmm. to the end audience or customer. And so Google said, no, we're not going to allow you to do that anymore. These days mm-hmm. they want you to offer something of value. And so if it's, you know, let's say it's a, a long qualitative piece, maybe mm-hmm. a, a, a how-to guide, a best of guide, make sure it's good. So how do you create something that is good and valuable? 
oh my gosh, now we're back to talking to your customers. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is what we do when we create content actually for our business. We do a, we have a ton of you know, qualitative blog posts about the best way to do certain types of research and the why. And that comes from us talking to prospective clients uh, or existing clients and working with them hand in hand through a specific research approach. Mm-hmm. And talking with them, we understand what are their questions? What are the challenges? How do we have to convince them that this is the right thing to do and the whys? And mm-hmm. by gathering that information, we have everything we then need to create an awesome piece of content about that very topic. So again, it's a very organic way to take that information that we're getting from our customers and then translating it into a piece of content to ultimately attract new customers. Yeah, nice. I think uh, it's the main difference between uh, copywriters and journalists, you know, because journalists usually gather information uh, um, and, yeah, provide some new valuable stuff. But copywriters just rewrite <laughs> text uh, in the top 10 results, uh, don't mm-hmm. provide any valuable stuff, uh, nothing special. Uh, and uh, I don't know, you know, it's interesting that many websites... Uh, Webmaster, they usually check out copywriters uh, with tools, many tools. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's not hard to cheat these tools uh, to get 100% of uniqueness just to rephrase all these paragraphs and don't provide any value. So I, I think Google can understand that. And if you have no resources, it's better to pay attention with creating less but quality, you know, yeah, like That's journalists. They don't care about uh, the long content, uh, how many articles they can write. They care more about quality. So if they can improve it, uh, uh, they don't touch any other topics. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's talk about um, simplicity. For example, um, uh, you can create awesome, valuable content. But uh, in most cases, 80% of users, when they open your website, land it, and they usually, uh, you know, uh, scan content, and they can leave immediately, uh, and it's real data. Uh, how to uh, catch their attention, how to hook them, and provide the strong reason to consume the whole content, because if they uh, don't do it, Google won't rank this website, and you can't get uh, well, uh, any value with that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, again, put myself in, in the shoes of that prospective reader or audience and I go if they're if they've clicked on something organically what mm-hmm. is it, why like what what, is, what are the questions that they're going to have um that led them to go gosh I need to explore this I need to go google it and so our content again is oriented around helping them answer those questions so I'll give you a for instance um we recently did a blog post on ad creative testing so, you know, this is great for probably uh, B2C companies. They're creating different advertising. And before you put it out in the market and spend tons of money on media fees, you want to test what's going to work better and mitigate that financial cost. So there's a great research approach to doing ad creative testing. And so we said, huh, you know, as we talk to prospective clients uh, to do this sort of work, what are the questions that come up? Um, let's make sure that our content, again, aligns to those questions. And let's make it easy for them to parse through that. So really good headlines that speak to the very definite questions that they have going in. We make sure that the content itself is easy to parse. Lots of bullet points, very few, frankly, zero long paragraphs. And make sure that they're really great visuals. So we really make a point of having strong visuals that help to inform, uh, in this case, what the output is Mm -hmm. of an ad creative test. So that as someone is reading the, um, the entire blog post, it's really, they're, they're going to want to look at every single piece 
because it's easy to uh, then consume the answers to the questions they have. Nice, nice. Uh, let's talk more about personalization. Uh, for example, okay, we created simple content. How to personalize this experience? Uh, for example, for paid marketing, it's important yeah uh, for uh, you know when you set up uh, google ads facebook ads uh, we need to convert as maximum as possible because uh, cost per click um, yeah cost good money you know a <laughs> hundred uh, a few dollars to a hundred dollars yeah a lot uh, 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 but for seo uh, for getting organic reach uh, how to personalize this experience because uh, for example even big companies it's hard for them to find their buying persona or uh, I don't know, user persona, uh, because uh, I remember when Tim Sola from HRFs proclaimed uh, HRFs can't find their uh, buying persona because uh, uh, they have women, men, different ages, Gen Z, Millennium, anyone. <laughs> so from your experience, how uh, we live in the world of personalization, especially if we, when we get this data, how to personalize experience today? Yeah, you know, I think about it in terms of how are different individuals perhaps searching for content. You know, so in our world, especially with research, people have a tendency to go, are you doing B2B research or are you doing B2C research? Uh, for better or worse, that seems to be how a lot of folks go searching mm -hmm. for things. So we go, well, gosh, then let's create content that aligns to that particular type of search intent. So uh, we do a lot of B2B uh, enterprise interview research. That's mm -hmm. a very specific keyword I just used there, right? Because we know that some of our clients who are in that space, that's how they're looking for it. Mm -hmm. On the flip side of things, on the B2C, B2C side, if someone's going, gosh, how do I do B2C consumer research? We need to have content that really aligns to that. So back to that idea, put yourself in the shoes of the prospective client or customer that you want. How are they thinking about themselves? And therefore, how does that sense of self uh, inform the way that they're doing that search and therefore make sure that the content you're creating aligns very closely to that search intent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, got it. Um, let's talk about um, creating content. Uh, can you share technical aspect? Uh, for example, today, um, no, AI tools are very popular, you know, uh, to create content, uh, to structure content. For example, um, I'm using as well, you know, these tools. I can't tell that I rely 100% uh, to, to create this content for tools because I edit a lot. Uh, sometimes I get uh, full nonsense from these tools. Uh, sometimes I need to edit. And uh, yeah, uh, it, it depends. And uh, uh, do you use AI tools? Uh, do you recommend using AI tools? For example, Google proclaims you don't need to use AI tools, uh, don't cure customer experience but many great uh, seo specialists and digital marketers proclaim now you can't go ahead without AI tools today it, it, they help to save so much time from your experience do we need to use or not well maybe this is an unorthodox answer because i don't profess to be an seo expert i say i'm a, I'm a market researcher that's mm -hmm. just trying to create value uh and and bring good information to the market uh for me mm -hmm. i don't really use too much now Look, do we have Google Search Console so we can see how we're ranking for certain terms and mm -hmm. see if that's creating impressions? Yeah, of course. But hey, it's free. Love it, right? Um, mm -hmm. And then on the back end, you know, our website's on WordPress. So we use uh, SEO, if you say Yoast or Yoast, we use that mm -hmm. too. It's good to make sure that we have just some of the best practices in our content. Mm -hmm. But from there, to be honest, we use nothing else. Because mm -hmm. I think if we, if we go back to that foundational idea, which is mm -hmm. create content that is good that create mm. value, 
that is easy to absorb, from our perspective, we're doing something that's good for the market. And mm -hmm. we know that Google wants you to be creating good stuff for the market. So end of the day, that's what we care about. Yeah, nice, nice. Uh, okay. Um... I have another question about uh, creating a buying persona. Uh, for example, uh, for my YouTube channel, uh, I have uh, one buying persona. For my uh, website, I have another one. Uh, and uh, I try to use data uh, from one channel to another. And uh, yeah, uh, it's hard to get good results. I don't know, people are different. We have different uh, buying mood. Can you tell more uh, how to consider a specific platform when you use uh, data market research and uh, create content that people will consume on specific platform? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we, this happens with some of our customers as well, where they have a good sense for, maybe they have a, especially in B2C, they have a really, really large database of customers. And hopefully they've done a really great job of tracking where that customer came from, from a first touch attribution standpoint. So maybe it's tracked back to organic or to your point, YouTube or, or Google or Facebook. I don't know, you know, pick, pick that different places. Uh, we can do a couple of things from there. One, uh, good old, you know, just some good old customer segmentation, we can see how are these different individuals uh, behaving? What's true of their patterns? Maybe some are better customers. Maybe some um, are more erratic customers, but they spend a lot, uh, mm -hmm. you know, when they do spend. That might help drive then how you're thinking about the content that you're producing across these different channels. Another thing that it might be able to inform, and we've certainly seen this with customers, is maybe customers that come from certain channels are pretty bad. You know, maybe mm -hmm. they came in, they converted once, it was a pretty low average order value, and they never returned. Versus maybe a different channel where they came, they've, you know, they've maybe returned six times, they have high mm -hmm. average order values. That's another way of going, gosh, as we look at specific customer attribution to inform where we should be putting our efforts on, use that to guide it and your resources. Presumably, you know, most organizations are resource constrained. Again, you can't, you can't be everything at every single marketing channel that's out there, especially if you're producing content, right? Uh, it's expensive to produce really great content. So you want to optimize your resources to those channels that ultimately are performing well for you and giving you the types of customers that you ultimately want. Yeah, love it, love it. Uh, okay, I found on your LinkedIn profile uh, the meaning concept testing. Can you tell more about that? What does it mean? Yeah, uh, so concept testing is a really classic research approach for organizations that are uh, considering bringing a new product or service into the mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it's really a great way to mitigate essentially the classic risks of launching anything live. Uh, when you think about what it takes to launch something live, uh, A, you've got to develop the darn thing. Um, mm -hmm. Whether that's digital or physical, it's got to be created. Uh, then you actually have to start selling it. Um, so that's a ton of marketing resources, oftentimes quite a bit of money as well. So if it doesn't, if it's not successful, you've wasted a lot of money. Mm -hmm, and so product yeah. constant testing really intends to mitigate a lot of that risk. And so it can be as simple as reading maybe, gosh, a, a three or four sentence description of a product to a prospective customer. That is someone who legitimately could actually buy this thing mm -hmm. and go, what do you think? What are your questions? What about this works well for you? What doesn't work well? Would this meet any needs that you have? And that's mm -hmm. a very, very simple, high-level approach to doing concept testing. Uh, a more in-depth approach would be showing something that's more fleshed out. You know, maybe showing something to someone on, on their 
a computer screen, maybe it's an actual uh, physical prototype, or maybe it's a, if it's a digital product, you're going to show, um, you know, the mobile experience. I know how mm -hmm. to create an in-depth experience, of, excuse me, description of what the thing does. And at that mm -hmm. point, you can probe much more deeply about, uh, you know, how do people see this concept idea? Is it something that's good for them? Uh, does it work, would it work well for them, their business, their family, you know, whatever it is. And mm -hmm. so by running these types of concepts, concept tests, it really allows the organization to understand what is it that's resonating with the market and I would argue more importantly, why? We always like to understand the why behind something. You know, whether or not something is great or not great for the market, when you understand those intrinsic drivers behind interest or lack thereof, it can help inform the future contents you produce as well as how you actually bring that item to market. Yeah, nice. Love it. Love it. Um... Okay, um, I found another uh, meaning on your profile, uh, pricing and product optimization. For example, uh, that means um, uh, you can learn from uh, many companies their prices compared with competitors and uh, think uh, customers will buy with these prices or uh, you have another approaches to tell that uh, these prices are not, are not good, we can increase, decrease. Can you tell more about that? Because, uh, uh, for example, <laughs> I, I never tell my clients that you need to decrease or increase prices. We usually pay more, more more attention with uh, getting traffic, but um, in your way, you provide more about market research. Can you tell more about that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, when you think about the customer journey, you're, you're absolutely right. Like first things first, you got to get traffic to your site. Who mm -hmm. cares about price if no one can even see that you exist? So I can't, I can't fault you at all for, for that recommendation. But once you've gotten them to the darn website and they're actually thinking about purchasing something, always everyone asks, what's it going to cost me? Mm -hmm. So price becomes a really big uh, point of interest lower down in that consideration funnel. So there are a couple of ways that we can really look at pricing. Um, if it's, again, going more qualitative, we can do that competitive audit or competitive landscape approach and understand how are different competitors in the market pricing a product. Uh, and that includes both the actual price point, but also the model. Is it a one-off purchase? Uh, is it a monthly subscription and yearly subscription? Do they have add-ons? Things like that. So that I think is especially valuable if you are working in a really an established industry or category. You know that there are a lot of people anchoring customer perceptions about price. A fantastic approach. Now, let's say that's not the world you're living in. Maybe you really are creating something that is very new. And so there isn't a sense in the market for what you should price that at. Then there are some very, very distinct uh, uh, market research pricing types of studies that can be run to understand that. And I'll spare you the, the nitty gritty details on those. Um, it gets a little bit wonky, but the types of things that you can do, um, one is called a Van, Van Westendorp study. Funny name, very easy idea though. And it really helps you understand uh, sort of the low end and the high end for ideal pricing where customers go, huh, it's not priced so low that I'm going to question its quality, but it's not priced so high that I would avoid it. So that's that type of study. Uh, another type of study often done, um, it's called a conjoint analysis, one of my favorites. And what that allows you to do is understand price sensitivity, elasticity. So essentially, uh, where are people willing to buy? At what inflection point does something become so expensive that it begins to alienate people? And what is the flexibility in that? So lots and lots of options 
Um, I'd say those latter ones are often better with B2C, where um, you really can get a lot of customers to respond and into your study, since it does require high sample sizes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, let's talk about um, companies uh, that uh, are willing to sell products that many other companies sell. Uh, and uh, for example, uh, I don't know, um, uh, let's imagine an online shop and um, uh, this online shop is selling smartphones, Apple, Samsung, uh, any other brands. How to differentiate uh, their products from others if they sell totally the same uh, smartphones or uh, any other items? Uh, yeah, how to highlight unique selling proposition at that point when uh, you sell the same products? Yeah, absolutely. Definitely a really, really classic challenge that a lot mm-hmm. of organizations have. So at that point, and you know, I think what you're describing really is the product itself is to some degree a commodity. They're mm-hmm. probably, you know, the price is fixed by the manufacturer. Um, they have really, they can't discount it at that point. It's done. So I would say, what else can you offer? Uh, and that's, again, a great way of talking to customers and going, hey, what if we were to offer certain service plans? What if we were to offer um, this thing or that thing? It essentially comes down to that idea of how can you create incremental value for the customer in mm-hmm. such a way that it's going to make you the go-to resource. So, you know, for instance, I can draw on in the marketing world is marketing automation software. I feel like every time I wake up in the morning, there's a new, a new one popping up every day. Mm-hmm. And at some point you gotta go, are they really that different from each other? However, you know, one that I personally love is HubSpot. And yeah, the software is great and it's very intuitive, but what they've really done is their customer support mm-hmm. and live help is phenomenal. And so as an organization that's focused on an SMB, traditionally, a customer, being able to support your customer through live chat or phone uh, support is exceptional. And that's a huge differentiating point. So it's a place where it's not necessarily the software itself that they're competing on, though I'm sure they are, but they found this other avenue to support their customers in such a way they've created a differentiating point. Yeah, you know, it's familiar for me because uh, when I'm trying to reach out to some government uh, structure, uh, organizations, you know, when uh, I check out their uh, phones, uh, calling, and, you know, I, I, I usually got the reply, sorry, we don't care about you. <laughs> I, we don't understand why you're calling to us, you know, uh, uh, just uh, wasting of your time, forget about this call. Uh, then I open their website and try uh, to um, reach out to support other ways. So yeah, it really frustrated <laughs> comparing to uh, HubSpot and many other uh, yeah, big brands today. Okay, uh, I have the question. Uh, if someone wanna learn more about uh, market research, where to start? Uh, what kind of courses or books or uh, blogs they need to consume uh, to be uh, an expert like you? Uh, well, if I'm going to be biased and selfish, I say come check us out at planbeyond.com. Uh, we have a pretty mm-hmm. active blog to really help take folks through uh, different types of market research approaches, um, sort of best practices, um, h- how to deal with the oopsies, you know, that, that sometimes naturally happen, that sort of thing. Um, but, you know, I think a lot of it just comes through organic search, dare I say. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of market researchers, uh, we've learned things on the job. Uh, or we've learned things because we are just naturally inquisitive and ask the question. 
So I'm going to give you the sort of obnoxious answer, which says Google it. Uh, you know, if you have a question as it pertains to how to do a survey, how to do interviews, um, go Google it. Uh, at this point, there's a ton of fantastic content, specifically from some of the um, software companies that are offering uh, market research platforms. They're doing a good job to help educate people and get them up to speed. And you know, you, you, you don't hide my secrets. <laughs> I, I just Google and go to YouTube. Uh, if I have any questions, uh, I'm not looking at any other places, just Google them. And uh, yeah, uh, Google provides a good job, you know, to provide some great articles, studies, tutorials. So it's better to consume them, read, to spend some time. And yeah, can learn, you can learn a lot more about that. Uh, I have the question about the future. What kind of future uh, are you expecting, uh, especially today when um, Everyone, uh, you know, when big companies uh, are uh, hiding privacy uh, data or something like this, you know, uh, iOS, uh, uh, some browsers uh, do it. Uh, uh, how to get this data uh, if uh, we have these issues? Uh, I understand that customers don't want to share this data with companies. That's okay. But marketers need this data. Uh, how to find them in the future and what you're expecting uh, from this niche? Yeah, it's going to be an interesting world, right? Like I know a lot of digital marketers, especially those trying to optimize their digital experiences, used to do things like heat, well, they still do, right? But heat maps and could just almost video record individuals' customer journey through the site. Mm -hmm. uh, for assorted privacy reasons, that's not going to be um, necessarily terribly viable unless someone mm -hmm. says, yes, I accept all your cookies. Thank you. So... I think that's honestly great for market researchers <laughs> mm -hmm. um, because that's what we do for a living. Um, we essentially are very adept at finding individuals who are willing to share their digital experiences. So mm -hmm. that's something that we definitely do. You know, if we have a client who says, hey, we really want to update our website. We want to see it's intuitive, if the sitemap works well, if people can find the information they want, we can test that for them. We recruit participants into a study Yes, of course, they're compensated, but okay. Uh, and then we can share that uh, it could be a staging site, it could be storyboards, whatever it is. Um, and actually watch as people explore, um, again, it's a website, we can actually see how they're doing things, record everything, ask them midstream, hey, I see you did that. Why'd you do that? Or hey, could you take a look at this? What do you think about that? So as a market researcher, uh, I think this new world of increased privacy, I'm not concerned about it. You know, I think, frankly, it's good for us. Um, we can find the people to speak to. And I think it's good for end customers. Um, end of the day, people do want their privacy protected. And I think these policies are better aligned, making sure that that's happening. Yeah, the era of lazy marketers is that today. <laughs> you don't need to rely to any tools. Just uh, ask the right questions, the right people in the right time. <laughs> Okay, uh, Laura, it's a big pleasure to get you on my show. Tell our audience how they can reach out to you, learn more about you, follow you. Absolutely. Well, check us out. Uh, we are planbeyond.com, a market research firm. And uh, if you want more information about myself, uh, I'm just Laura Triani, and you can find me on LinkedIn. Okay, guys, you can find all these links in the description below. Listen to us on Apple, Google, Spotify. It's a big pleasure. To learn from you to get new insights new ideas especially you know uh, i'm working in seo field but uh, i love to learn from uh, mm -hmm. 
similar niches, you know, to get some kind of information that it's hard to find in SEO. So yeah, yeah, a big pleasure. Thanks for your time. And thanks guys for listening and watching us. Thanks for listening to this entire podcast. Please rank your experience in Apple, Spotify, Google, or any other platforms that you may use. Also, please share your ranking mark on chat at seotools.tv to get a special gift. We'll see you soon on other valuable audio podcasts.